Welcome to the Ogletree Deacons podcast, a brief discussion of compelling legal issues and practical insights. Please note that the information in this podcast is for informational purposes only and is not intended to be, nor should it be construed as legal advice. You can subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts or through your favorite podcast service. Please consider rating and reviewing so that we may continue to provide the content that covers your needs. Please enjoy the program. Hi, everyone. Thanks for joining us here today. I'm Sarah Platt, a shareholder here at Ogletree in our Milwaukee office, and I am joined by my colleague, Kelly Cardin. Thanks for joining me today. Thanks for having me, Sarah. It's good to be here. So I'm a shareholder in Ogletree's New York and Connecticut offices, um, where there's a lot going on these days. I was going to say, you're in the the hotbed of the topic we're going to talk about here today, which is pay disclosures. And and both of the states that you work in the most have recently passed laws in this area. So you're the perfect person to chat with for a few minutes here today about what employers need to know about pay disclosures. And this is an area that's the the evolution of um, salary history bans. For a while, we heard about those as proliferating around the country pay disclosure laws are the latest thing in this area. Yeah, and the legislation seems to be moving pretty quickly here. And in New York City in particular, the law was recently passed, but there are still so many unknowns. So I I think it's a really interesting area that employers are going to want to stay on top of. It's always such a challenge when it's cities and municipalities passing laws because there's often so little structure and sometimes not a lot of thought for the practical considerations of implementing Uh, those laws for employers. In this area for salary disclosure requirements, I categorize these laws into a few different buckets that have kind of evolved over time. You've got in in one category, there's pay reporting laws, which are required in California and Illinois has a a pay reporting law coming um, on board. Those are sort of along the lines of the now defunct EEO1 component two data, where employers have to disclose aggregate information or even individual information about all their employees. So that's one category. We've got some great colleagues, uh, Jay Patton and Kiyosha Dickey, who do a lot of work in that area. It's not going to be our focus here today. The other categories started with laws that required pay disclosures upon request by an applicant. So somebody gets to a certain point in your hiring process. Sometimes it's through the interview, sometimes after an offer, and they can ask, what is the pay range for this job? And in, in those states, you have to disclose the, the pay range upon request. So California and Washington are a couple of examples that started with those. The newer batch of laws have expanded on that a bit, and, and this includes your law out there in Connecticut. So what does Connecticut require that's, that's a bit beyond what the original California-Washington style disclosures required? Yeah, so Connecticut's an interesting one. There are two sets of triggers under the Connecticut law. So the first applies to applicants and employers are required to give the wage range for the position the applicant's applying to at the earliest of the applicant's request or prior to or at the time the applicants made an offer of compensation. So these are two different scenarios that apply to applicants and the employer has to give the salary range upon the earlier of the two. But there's a second set in Connecticut for current employees. And so for current employees, employers in Connecticut have to give the salary range at the time of hiring, if there's a change in the employee's position or upon the employee's first request for a wage range. 
So again, you have a second trigger with three different events, and as the employer, you're required to give the wage range at the earliest of those. So it's kind of an interesting scheme. Yeah, and I think the two points for employers to be aware of is that this law and laws like them in Rhode Island and Nevada, for example, impose a proactive requirement on employers. So even if the candidate or the employee never asks, there are points in the process where the employer is is required to put this out there, um, even without request. And some of the earlier laws only applied to external applicants. And and now Connecticut and others in the same era start to apply to employees as well. The last batch of laws go even a step further than that and require disclosure of pay ranges on job postings. Uh, Colorado is the, the front runner in this area, but you have the pleasure of working in another, another front runner. New York City recently passed a law like this, right? Yes, here we are. New York City just passed a law that requires employers with four or more employees in the city to post a salary range in job postings for positions in the city. So this legislation was passed uh, on December 15th, and it goes into effect on May 15th. So New York City employers still have time to get into compliance with this. But basically, in every job posting or job advertisement for positions in the city, employers have to disclose and post the salary range. At this point, there are lots of unknowns with respect to how this law is actually going to look in application. For example, we still don't have guidance or clarity on what specifically is meant by salary. So does it include discretionary payments, non-discretionary payments? That's still an open issue, but I think that if it tracks line with the other similar laws, we're probably, salary is probably going to include non-discretionary payments. Fundamentals of compliance in this area sound overly simplistic. Employers need to figure out which laws apply to them. As you said, New York has a a threshold of four employees. Different state and local laws have different thresholds as to when they might apply. Some of them apply to remote workers and others don't. I've talked to a, a lot of companies who are surprised to realize that, for example, the Colorado law may apply to them if they only have one remote worker in Colorado. So it sounds overly simplistic, but first, I do think employers need to stay up to date on these laws and which ones might apply to them, and then figure out, are they going to apply on a state-by-state basis, or are they going to try to identify a consistent approach that a a multi-state employer could use across the board? That in and of itself might might be challenging. Yeah, I think particularly given where we are in this age of remote work, it's very challenging for employers to know which laws they have to comply with. So as you say, it sounds easy, you know, oh, I operate in this state, the state's law is going to apply. It might not be the case anymore. So employers do have to take a hard look at not only where they're posting positions, but where they actually have employees working and then figure out what law is gonna apply. I think another really tricky issue here, Sarah, I'm not sure if you've been seeing this in your practice a lot, but is figuring out how to define the salary range. What is salary? So for example, the New York City law, it's really interesting in that it specifically refers to a salary. And of course, that's a term that we typically associate with exempt employees. 
But I think that in this case, they're probably using salary to also apply to non-exempt employees, but it just raises a whole set of issues about how employers are going to set the wage range. In New York City, we still don't have guidance for what needs to be included in the salary, as I mentioned a little bit earlier, but the law is clear that employers have an obligation to create the salary range based on a good faith belief of what they're going to pay for that position. In Connecticut, just to give another example, uh, Connecticut issued some non-binding guidance on their uh, wage range disclosure law, but it makes clear that when you are setting the salary range, you can look at things like the applicable pay scales, what you've already paid for employees who are in that position or similar positions, but also at the amount that uh, employers have budgeted for the position among some other factors. So I think it's something, again, like the question about which law is going to apply, it sounds really simple when you say, oh, sure, a salary range. But then when you actually parse it and think through it, it's actually a rather complicated concept. I completely agree. I think it's complicated first in figuring out what does the law require, because as you noted, they're all a little bit different in the language that they use and some provide greater clarity or guidance than others on, on what that means. For example, what do you do with commissions? That's not technically a salary, but it's wages. And so under the various laws, how how are you required to report that? But then the practical question, even once you know what the law requires or, or have a good sense of, of what you're going to do in, in light of the law, um, some employers don't have set pay ranges. And so just getting that infrastructure in place is a compliance task in and of itself. And I, I think it's important to think about what the job entails and what the company values that job and focus objectively on that rather than on an individual candidate. I think there are a lot of employers out there that still base pay largely on what a particular candidate is demanding. And that becomes a lot harder when you have to disclose something proactively on on the front end. And so I think it's important to think about those appropriate factors that impact pay. What are you going to value based on the experience that you're looking for, um, the, the particular duties of the job, the requirements or educational background that somebody might have, and, and maybe consulting you know, outside market data. But that's quite a task for a lot of employers who may not have done it in the past. And whether they're in New York City and now have a couple of months to to figure that out or in some of the other jurisdictions that already have these laws, I think that is an area of focus that sounds easy, but is a little bit easier said than than done when you get down to it. Yeah, and you make a great point about, you know, the candidate making a demand for a number that's, you know, probably or possibly above the salary range. What happens when you do end up paying somebody beyond the salary range? I think under these laws, you know, you have an obligation to come back to the range and then shift them up if need be. So I, I think it's really something that employers are going to need to stay on and really be constantly evaluating. I think employers certainly need to be able to justify why they they might pay a new candidate more than uh, existing incumbents in that role and think about the employee relations challenges that might arise from that when this, this information is inherently becoming public. And also think about legal risk that might come from there and, and what is the strategy for dealing with that. And maybe that strategy is documenting what differentiates that particular candidate 
or maybe the strategy is reevaluating the the pay range for that role entirely in light of the market. But those are all steps that that have to be added to the to-do list in light of these new requirements. And the other piece that I think is important there is training. So making sure that, you know, whether it's your recruiters or talent acquisition or HR folks who are um, dealing with candidates and might, might receive these inquiries or might be the ones who need to proactively provide this information, or it's your hiring managers, your, your frontline business folks who are involved in interviewing for their teams, making sure that those individuals know that these laws exist and know what the company's protocol is for responding to inquiries and disclosing this information. Because a a hiring manager's view of what the pay scale for a particular role um, should be might be a bit different than what the HR department or the company as a whole might identify when thinking about all of the employees in that role or or thinking about it on a more global basis. So making sure people know where to direct these inquiries, who should be responding and and who's keeping the the big picture in mind can be really important. I think it's also going to be interesting to see what, if any, litigation comes from these laws. So as we said, the New York City one doesn't go into effect until May, the Connecticut one, just went into effect in October, but both statutory schemes provide for private causes of action. Um, And I think it's just gonna be really interesting to see what happens here because I think the measure of damages is a little bit tricky. You know, what are a person's damages if an employer fails to comply with this? So I don't know if you've seen any interesting litigation in your practice, Sarah, but I'm kind of staying tuned to see what happens with that. I think that's right. So many of these laws are so new that we haven't seen a lot of litigation. We've seen you know, the start of agency enforcement in certain jurisdictions, but not a lot of um, private causes of action in in this area. I also wonder what what will the effect be on these laws? You know, what is the point really? And I, I think when it comes down to it, the goal is that the transparency that's required under under these laws will lead to more consistent compensation decisions and and probably more informed negotiations by candidates for either new positions or promotions. Um, And hopefully that might remove some implicit bias that might be baked into the system unintentionally. Uh, It it might remove the, the desire or even unintended effect of relying on a prior employers or, or even sort of society's past practices in keeping compensation lower for certain groups. So requiring employers to value the job independent of any particular candidate and put that information out there uh, will likely lead to, like I said, more consistent pay, pay decisions. In the end, hopefully that will be good for candidates and employers. But I think at the beginning of, of compliance with these laws, it it certainly can present some challenges. I think that that's right. You know, especially at the start, as you say, it is a rather heavy lift for employers to figure all of this out and get the systems in place. But hopefully there will be a strong net benefit at the end. And I think we have to stay tuned. I I don't think New York City is the the last of them. I I think we're going to continue to see these. There were a handful in the latter months of 2021 that all came on board, and I suspect other states and cities will follow. So 
all need to stay tuned on this issue. <laughs> to be continued. Yeah. Thanks for chatting with me, Kelly. Have a good day. Thanks, Sarah. You too. Thank you for joining us on the Ogletree Deacons podcast. You can subscribe to our podcasts on Apple Podcasts or through your favorite podcast service. Please consider rating and reviewing so that we may continue to provide the content that covers your needs. And remember, the information in this podcast is for informational purposes only and is not to be construed as legal advice.